You know what our stories contain that contain our purpose and our power? You don't believe me? Look into your own story. I guarantee you will find little nuggets, treasures that help you to understand your life and why you're here. I'm Amanda Solar. I'm the host of Soulful Connections, the podcast, and SoulfulLiving.com. And I'm so happy I get to share with you people who are willing to explore their own journeys and how they've overcome trauma, how they found joy in even the mundane, from top business and community leaders to my friends and family who are just trying to figure it all out. Join us. Let's connect. Connection. Let's talk about connection. Let's talk about connection. Let's talk about it. Okay, so I am here today with Denise Palmer. And Denise, first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. I, you know, let, I think we should just go back to how we even know each other. <laughs> so first of all, we didn't even know how we knew each other really, right? Right. I met you pre-pandemic at a dinner with a bunch of women. We were all at dinner. And I know that I was there, we were packing up stuff for our college kids, right? Yeah. And we met that one time and I thought, wow, she's so interesting in that little two minute conversation. And then we, as you do in this world, we became Facebook friends. And I saw your photography and just thought, wow, so interesting. This woman is so talented. And there was just like that weird something like uh, she would be a great guest on the podcast. <clears throat> and yes. then we, you, you and I met and had a glass of champagne and talked all night long. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Which so, we can do. It's easy. Yeah. It really is. And it's just so interesting. Um, but the, let's start with the photography since that's kind of what I was really blown away by your photos, you know? And I just thought, oh my gosh, this woman is such an artist. And the way you portray nature in all of its forms, whether it's a flower or a bird or a fox, which I don't even know how you get these. So can you tell me about the role of photography in your life? Okay, I sure can. Um, I would say that um, I am an artistic creative person, not in the typical 
uh, two-dimensional painting kind of uh, artistic style, but I come from a very artistic family. My uncle is a wildlife artist who, who actually paints a lot of things that I tend to photograph, you know, like we have a lot of crossover. His paintings are so realistic. They look like they look like photographs. And he's 91 and he paints better than he ever did in his life, oh, as far as I'm that. concerned. He's really amazing. My dad was a pen and ink artist. Um, very different than his brother, but they both were incredible artists. Their father was a painter as well. So it's really, there's a lot of that in my family. And my dad also, not that this has to do with photography, but I'm just setting the groundwork, but uh, my dad <laughs> also did a lot of more creative things like um, back in a German tradition, there would be like a town under your tree and he built the town from cardboard. And so I've started to do that too. He'd have castles in there and churches and cathedrals and, and stained glass windows that he painted. And then you'd have a light inside. Incredible. So I would ask him how to do that. And he said, just you know, just glue a couple paper towel tubes together. So now I make these castles and they're like bedecked with jewels and they're, they're quite something. Anyway, uh, so we Incredible. do, we do all those kind of things. I make ornaments. I do all these things. Um, but, um, so it's just a sort of, a. It, you know, I, and, and mosaics, I listened to another podcast and I heard another, yeah, yeah um, I love mosaics. Pat, I've taught some classes on mosaics, not that I'm an expert in any way, but I certainly love it. And I always say it's an art form for people who don't feel like they're artistic because you can get the design off of the internet and simply put it behind glass or, you know, draw it onto something and do a beautiful piece. So it is, um, they're just, I, I love people to know, I want people to know they have creative abilities, that they are artists, even, and we all think we're artists when we're young, but we are, you know, we are sort of like edged out of it, or we allow ourselves to be, you know, where someone's better than us in the class. And so then we begin to, you know, shut down our creative abilities. So I, I sort of really want people to understand that it, it's in there, you know, it doesn't really go away, you know. Um, so all that being said, simply to come up to the fact that then a camera became my like way of, um, uh, you know, expressing myself. I'll say that's what it is. Or cr being creative, being a creative. Um, and it's interesting that you, you know, you talk about my photos because I really want them to evoke a feeling. Like when I take a picture, I want it to um, bring, like I want it to be almost atmospheric or like evocative of a mood, you know? Um, so sometimes with birds, that's not as possible because, you know, like I'm trying to get in there and get an actual photo of the bird too, you know, but with flowers, trees, leaves, you know, I, I even, even like dried weeds in a field, I wanted to really kind of like bring about like a feeling, you know, um, I, people wouldn't believe it, but I point and shoot. I don't know about all those other details with the camera. Uh, it's just that I've heard I have a good eye. 
and, and also another thing is that I tell people that are afraid to do this, because again, I want people to just get out there and do it if they want to. I also take lots and lots of pictures that aren't very good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not as if every photo I take is worth keeping. They're just, they're not, you know, sometimes I try something, it just didn't work, you know? Um, you know, with these kind of cameras, it's wonderful. You just delete them, you know, but I, I, I take a lot of photos and I go out into the woods a great deal. So, so that adds to my ability of taking pictures because I'm out there a lot. That was a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love long answers. That's because that's when you really understand because there are so, there, there are so many things buried in those answers. For example, um, what compels you to go outside? Like that is such an act of, you know, it could be cold. It could be, you know, it's easier to stay inside and yes. turn on Netflix. Yeah. So what compels you to do that? Oh, okay. So I was raised in a very odd family. As you, if you continue to interview me, you will find that and odd. I say in the most endearing way. It was, it was a treasure, and I know that now. I didn't really think that at the time, as we were so odd. Um, we hiked in the woods when we were young. It was something people were not doing that. Many young people do that today. It was not done. We went on a seventy-five mile hike in the woods, my mom, dad, and my four brothers and I, and, um, that was like, that was our vacation. So, and, and there was a, a lot of love of nature in my family, like what the mushrooms were, what the wildflowers were, we were, you know, what that bird is, you know, we were really indoctrinated into that world. Um, and so I would say that like, it, it wasn't always something in my twenties, I was not doing this. I was not right. But as time goes by, a lot of times you come back around to the things that, you know, maybe your parents try to instill in you when you were young. And for me now, going into the woods is meditative work for me. It yeah. is. And taking photos is meditative also. Watching birds and their behavior, watching the perfection in nature, that's what I see over and over again, how it works together, how it just like is like, you know, there are all these spiritual sayings about like what trees teach us, like that they don't move and they don't look like they're doing anything and they look like sticks in the winter. And then, and then the temperature begins to change and like, poof, you know? It's incredible, like the slowness and the patience and the perfection. That is a great metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, it, really it, it teaches me a lot. I learn a ton. It's very, uh, for me, it's a healing act for me to go into nature, truly. Yeah. It's like religion for me now, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned that everybody has that artist in them, you know, when they're little, every, nobody thinks that they're bad. They, nope. they love what they do. Why do you think it's important for people to recapture that or reclaim that? Oh, I, I think that, um, first of all, in a lot of the work that I do, which is spiritual, it is uh, a, a large teaching is that we're all creating our lives 
every single minute, whether we're aware of it or not. We're, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, attraction, law of attraction, everything. Many times what we're attracting to our lives is not what we want. <clears throat> so we may do the work on, you know, trying to attract in what we want, but for the rest of the day, we're listening to the news and the horror stories and, and, and zoning in on how terrible things are. That's where I go right to nature. Okay. And I just say, no, no. Um, so what I'm getting around to saying is that we are creative people. Every single person is creating, whether they're thinking of it that way or not. Yeah. So inside you is the ability to hone in on that and recognize that you have the ability to create. Um, I do find it sad that, you know, as a little child, you will run to your parents and show them what you drew and you're proud of it and they put it on the refrigerator and you're so excited and you don't think it's bad. I mean, you know, right? you think it's great. And then someone so does you know, and, and somehow along the line, we get this idea of what art is supposed to look like. In actuality, whatever you're creating is what it's supposed to look like. You know, I'm not trying to be, it, it's sort yeah. of like the art critics, who, who is that? Who are they? You know, so yeah. I, I would like to almost try, I mean, I can't do it on my own, but I would love there to be a shift for people to understand you aren't like anyone else. Your art shouldn't look like anyone else's. You're doing your own thing. That's beautiful. You know, um, I would hope that that's why, like when I do try to uh, teach mosaic classes, or whatever, uh, if someone doesn't feel they're artistic, that all the better for me, because you can show a person like you can still create a beautiful piece and if this is the way to get in and you need to get the you know image off of the internet or whatever you have to do, you can still, with your own hands, create something that's beautiful. And mosaics are amazing because you do it from broken pieces and you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's a whole interesting. incredible um, metaphor again for like creating something beautiful out of brokenness or whatever. Oh my gosh, I love that. I really love that. Um. And then your actual work, what you're doing these days is with the Alpha Center for Divorce Mediation. Can you share what you do there? Okay. All right. Well, I've just come to work there. It is actually called, it It, it was founded by the woman who started Alpha Mediation. Okay. But now we are a separate entity, a nonprofit. Okay. Um, so it's a nonprofit in Doylestown and it's the Divorce Recovery Center. Oh, it's the Divorce Recovery Center. Got it. Oh, yes. I love that. I yes. really and, love that. And so what we're trying to really establish is sort of like a, a sense of community for people who are going through the struggle and the upheaval of divorce. Um, the way I came to that job is, um, you know, I, I myself went through a divorce and it was finalized in 2018 and over the years, you know, of working with myself and trying to, you know, heal through that, uh, you know, from that event, that process, I decided that like, I would like to help people that are struggling in you know, through divorce, because it's, it's a very upsetting and uh, difficult time. So I got a hold of Keila from Alpha and asked her if I could just be a support person. I wasn't even looking for a job. 
I, I just wanted to like volunteer and help people uh, and, and help support them because it was, those were some of the darkest days of my life, mm-hmm. you know? So um, what happened was she said, oh, well, it just so happens that we really need someone to come here and, and be part of the organization and run the, the groups and all. So That's she gave me chills. It was wonderful. She just took me on board. I've never done group work before. Um, I started reading as much as I could about it, trying to find out, you know, like exactly how does this work? I'm reading like about AA and Al-Anon and other groups that are successful and have a lot, have had a lot of success. Um, And the thing about uh, groups, particularly the way we run ours as it's a peer group. I'm not a coach. I'm not a therapist. We don't have to have HIPAA forms. Everyone can just come there and talk. It's truly just, um, it, you know, done in that format. And it is very healing and offers like a great deal of support. So there's no hierarchy. You know, I sort of facilitate only in the sense that I'm keeping things rolling and and making sure everybody speaks if they want to. There's no pressure to speak. But um so the thing about a peer group is it's just incredible with like the feeling of community that you have. And that's one of the worst things about divorce. You feel really alienated and isolated. And even if you have, you know, your friends, even like a lot of people feel a lot of distance from their friends when they're going through that because their friends may be still married and it's difficult for them to really relate um, to what's happening to the person. So so that brings a lot of, I mean, I think there, I don't know if it's 50% of people are getting divorced still, but the numbers are high and there's a lot of people affected. Children are, you know, so adversely affected. Um, everyone's family is affected, like your entire family feels it, you know, Um and, and then you lose like your spouse's family in a way. And there's just a lot of, there, there's just a lot of ripples you know, that, that occur. Um, and it helps to have a sense of people, a sense of uh, people around you that maybe really understand and can empathize with what you're going through. Yeah. You know, I, I feel as though sometimes speaking for myself, I don't fully understand the ramifications of divorce and all of the pieces of yourself that are brought to the forefront and have to be addressed and the loss. And, you know, as you're talking, it just seems so overwhelming and hard. How do you think you get through it? Is community a sense of it? Is there something that helped you? Like, how did you get through this? I, I really worked so hard on myself first, what happens, you know, like, and I won't go into like so many details, but I think you are brought back to all the wounds that are, that are already in there, you know, and it devastates you in a way that, um, even if you're the one that, that initiates the divorce, um, which a lot of times I think that that person may feel like, you know, they're they're going to be unscathed, but there's nobody that wins in a divorce. There's nobody that wins, you know. Um, first, we're, we're sort of like initiated as young people in a fairy tale world, 
that here's how this is going to go. You're going to walk down the aisle and it's, this is the way the fairy tales go. Uh, you walk down the aisle, you get married and, and, and happily ever after. Yeah. We all know that's not true. Even if you're in a long-term relationship, yeah. it's not happily ever after. That's a fairy tale. Right. So for one thing, divorce is like the loss of the fairy tale. It is, you know, I mean, marriage is the loss of the fairy tale. It, you, you know, it is hard work, compromise, endurance, forgiveness. Mm. You know, these aren't the things that people are talking about usually. Um or how to deal with each other's wounds as they come up in a relationship and how to help each other through them. I'm a proponent of marriage. I I love marriage. And I think that long-term relationships such as marriage, that is where you can, so much healing can take place. The the, the Mm -hmm. wounds will come up, but if you're in a committed relationship, you can heal your childhood old wounds Here's a person that actually cares mm-hmm. about you. You can you can talk about it. You can say, oh, I, I, I see what I'm doing. I see how I'm pushing you away. I see how I'm not letting you in. Whatever it is, <clears throat> because you're committed, you have the chance to work through it. If you bounce out of your marriage because it just it's not fun anymore, is this all there is? I'm in a midlife crisis, whatever it is, or I can't stand this person anymore. And you believe that like getting out is the solution. It just, it just never is. You haven't done any of the work yet. Like you, our lives, you still have to do the work, you know, or, or for you to grow, you have to do the work, you know, not everybody's going to be willing to do that. I wanted to heal a hundred percent. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's possible, but I wanted to really work on myself and make sure that I had worked on my own stuff that was in the marriage that caused, you know, everyone has, you know, does the dance in a relationship. It's not one person, you know, that's causing all the damage, but when a divorce happens, it's easy to just, you know, point and say, you know, how terrible. Then as time goes on, hopefully you will begin to say, oh, but I remember that I also did this and wasn't that kind and did that, whatever, whatever the things are that you were doing. And that's how you really get down to healing, you know, with the honesty of what your own behaviors are that cause you know, the damage. And and if you look closely, you'll see them in your friend relationships and the people that you've swept aside saying, I don't have to put up with that. Always, if something's coming back to you, it's something that's unhealed in you. You know, if someone's behaving to you in a way that you don't like, you need to like stop a minute and say, what, what is it that's, that's happening here? Instead of, you know, instead of always pointing a finger, you know, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of work, you know? Yeah. Because like what I, what I tried to do was not identify with those behaviors so closely that I felt uh, my ego take over, you know? Uh, I wanted to be able to say, oh, I behave like that because when I was young, and I would, I would look at why, 
not to make an excuse, but to say, oh, now I understand uh, where that behavior came from. And I'm going to have to keep an eye on that. I'm going to have to watch how that comes up in my relationships and start to learn how to not be so defensive or not have to protect myself or whatever the case may be. Am I, am I making any sense? You are making so much sense. And it's making me think, because I, I do think that there are so many people who are pointing fingers because they just don't have, or they can't access the courage to actually look, you know, at themselves unflinchingly. And I think you've just <clears throat> given people a gift by saying, you know, you can look at yourself without being very harsh with yourself. You can look at yourself and say, hey, this is what I did because of this. It's like an investigation. Like you're mm -hmm. a detective. Yeah. Yeah. You know, about yourself. But that does take a very special person, I think, to be able to kind of pull that apart. And even not only to look at it within your marriage, but in your life and your other relationships. Have you always been very introspective? Is that where that comes from? What do you think? I am obsessed with human relationships and human behavior. And I, I think I used to look at it again from a very walled off, um, you know, perspective. But when the divorce happened, I sort of got really knocked for a loop. And I got more inquisitive, as you're saying. I dug deeper and I decided I wanted to get to the root of it. Like, how had I taken this, this, you know, life that I thought we were going to have? What part did I play in that? How did I add to its demise? You know, how did I bring about or help to bring about the end of that? I had to be part of the problem. Um, I can be extremely um, pointed and direct with myself now. But as you're saying, I think um, for people that find that a little daunting, uh, it is extremely important what you're saying. We develop behaviors to survive when we're little. Every single person develops ways of surviving no matter how good their family looks they they have things that hurt them along the way when you're little you're powerless you're small your parents say things to you it hurts your feelings you wall off you protect yourself you learn techniques to protect yourself and to help yourself stay safe and you continue with those because they are downloaded you're a little person these these pathways are like in your in your brain. You have to work extremely hard to stop when it's happening and you're being triggered. You have to stop, look at it, pay attention to what's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then say, I, I see, I feel this. I feel this energy in me. I feel this anger. I'm getting actually hot. I'm getting, I'm going to say something ridiculous, you know? Yeah. And you- and you like, you stay calm if you can. Like you learn to even just put a little space in between what's happening. Wait, wait, why is this making me 
feel so uneasy. So like the work that I did on me was to really come to a place where I felt so um, stable in my own self. Wow. That even the stuff that's going on and if my children say something to me and I'm like, oh, I just like they shouldn't speak to me like that. I still I stop. That's about them. They probably yes. shouldn't speak to me that way. They probably shouldn't. But I'm not going to I'm not going to get all I'm not going to go back at them right. because right. they did that. I'm not going to react. So, so it's so interesting. It's learning to like, you know, respond, take a minute. Yeah. And so, so just real quick, I will say like, if you can understand why you do what you do, not in judgment, there's no judgment. You develop these things to protect yourself. So like, it's not bad. It's not wrong. Bringing them along with you can be devastating to your current present day relationships. But you, you have to understand why, and then you can set about, okay, it's okay. It's okay that I'm doing that, but I'm going to learn to do this in a different, healthier way. That That's the real work that I've done over these last few years. Yeah. You know, that's really, there's so many parts of that that are really, really wonderful because the other thing is you're, we're surrounded by people who love to go, can you believe this person did this? People feed off of that rage and you can just live in that space for the rest of your life. And people will actually help you nurture it because it's something that, you know, we watch it in movies and there's like this kind of righteous anger. And, you know, I think that that can almost be addictive in and of itself, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It takes far more strength to go on that inward journey and, and really deeply investigate. Um, and the other thing I noticed about you that I just picked up on, I think right away when I first met you, whenever that was, which was, um, I can't remember, maybe it was 2019. Maybe it was right after your divorce, really, when I think about it, you know? That sounds um, about right. Yeah, because we weren't hanging out in restaurants much of 2020. Um, but you emit a light. You really do. There's like a joy that comes from you that is very palpable. And I find that so interesting because you're talking about something that was so painful. That was something that wasn't part of your plan. I know we talked when we met up over champagne, um, I don't how you tell me how comfortable you are speaking about um, the journey you took with your child, one of your children. Yeah. You've been through some heavy duty stuff and you're very joyful. And I wonder if that was always there, if you've arrived at that as a conclusion and would you be willing to share that whole journey as it relates to your one of your children, you have four, four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I will share that. Of course, um, I, I am absolute. I was I was not always like this. 
uh, I would say in my marriage, particularly toward the end, very different, you know, just filled with um, <clears throat> so many negative feelings. Um, as we talked earlier, and I said something about the divorce. So right around the divorce, so uh, 2017, I was handed the divorce papers. Um, in 2018, I got a message from my brother who told me that he believed um, my child, uh, who I relinquished, or as we said back in the day, gave up for adoption um, in nine and I'm sorry, in 1990, um, had found him on ancestry. Uh, I had never done my own DNA, but my brother Claude did. And he was my only brother who knew that I had relinquished a baby in July of 1990. Um, so, so his name was Max. So Max was reaching out to my brother Claude and in 2018 and um my father ended up dying in 2020 so it was like this it was this and we knew that like he was not good he had had some incident in 2017 right after mike had given me the divorce papers so like it was the universe saying to me is the way i took it like you need to do something <laughs> you know i wasn't sure what that was but it was it was really a horrible, horrible time. So, and and like we're talking about divorce, it's like not only that um, you're losing, you know, your life, my life as I knew it, the house, the beach house, the whatever. It's like the family members of my ex who are now like sort of like gone, and the people at the beach who knew me are sort of like mm, they're not sure what to wow. do. And so it's all of that. And then, and then Max is coming into my life and I was just like, yes, let's meet, let's meet. Not doing any of the work that you're actually supposed to do or like, you know, I'm saying in air quotes, but uh, when you meet a child, when a birth mother meets the child that they've relinquished, there's a lot that can go wrong. You can say things that are hurtful. They might say things that are, it's a very complex um, situation that many people tell you, you need to do a lot of work before you, you have that first reunion. Well, I didn't know any of that. And so in four days after my brother telling me basically about Max reaching out, I went to Philly to meet him. What were you feeling? I was so excited. I was so excited. I couldn't believe he wanted to meet me. I couldn't believe that he, um, a lot of uh, adoptees, particularly boys and men are, are angry at their birth mother and they don't necessarily want to meet their birth mother. Um, having like no understanding, of course. I mean, it's, it's a rejection at the most primal level. It, it's, you know, uh, it's extremely, but, but Max wasn't like that at all. And as a 28 year old boy, man, um, he and I, we had a great connection and we have been texting each other, like almost every day since the day that we met, we text like all day, uh, usually on the weekends, I give him a break, you know, as requested, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like through wow. the day. I will, we will touch base and he, you know, we were at his wedding, his three siblings, my children that I raised, they're a hundred percent siblings. 
So all of that was going on. That was a bright light when, when all this other, you know, with the divorce and my dad's illness and then his oh, dad. Lord. Um, Max was a bright light in my life. Um, a lot of the work that I'm talking to you about that I had to do on me, it, it really also had to do with the damage and the wound of relinquishing Max because I didn't even know. I just like pushed that down at that time yeah. and didn't do any work on that. Uh, I remember going to a therapist when I was like pretty upset, like during my early, my kids were young and I went to a therapist. And as one of the last things I said, like on the list of what was going on in my life. Oh, and by the way, yes, I did um, give up a baby for adoption. And, and a lot of therapists in, in the earlier days and even current day, they do not or did not see that as like trauma related. Um, uh, there's a lot more trauma informed therapists regarding adoption now. Um, it's, it's a huge wound, you know, um, that occurred in my twenties and my mom died in my twenties. So, so those were some real big things that happened when everyone else that I knew their life was just like beautiful and they were out and they were partying and things were great. And that was happening in my twenties. This is not poor me. This is just to say that, uh, grief has been like a thing in my life. And I have come to terms with it. Like um, some Buddhists say, when fear comes up in your life, have him sit down beside you, like make friends with fear. So I'm going to say I've made friends with grief. Like I have been in a grieving process for many years. Um, When I relinquished Max, I didn't, I didn't think in my twenties, I just did not think that was um, a thing that needed to be dealt with. Like, yeah. I thought he's happy. I've given him the best that I could give him. He has this wonderful new family. He's going to be great. I'm, I'm fine. You know, right. um, neither one of us is fine. There's a saying that the ghost of the mother lives in the baby's home and the ghost of the baby lives in the mother's home. Any mother I ever say that to, like, you can feel it. Yes. So um, those are things that just recently I have, though that's the work that I've done in these last years, not in my 20s, not in my 30s, not in my 40s. I didn't work on that. I tried to do some work on mothers without daughters, like kind of tried to do some of uh, like back decades ago. I did some of like the impact that that has. That was a huge thing for me that my mom was gone. She was such a powerhouse in my life. Um, so so that I could see that that affected me. But, but relinquishing Max, I thought I had that under control. I don't know why. But um, so that journey, that, that self-healing work that I've done and my ability to come out joyful... That is the work I've done in the last few years. And it's like intense, uh, solitary work that I do. I don't go to a therapist. I I do this work on my own. Um, I, I don't think that's probably the way that it works best for everybody. 
but I also have a lot of um, a lot of things that I've needed to work through. And I don't think I've really felt that a therapist could could do it for me. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. I absolutely do. I think that everybody has their their route, you know. Uh, I totally understand that. Plus, I do think that I don't know. I talk with my friends about about this, you know, my growing up friends, but none of us really see a therapist. We just weren't raised. We're just that generation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's so many levels to that. Um, but I was thinking also, as you talked, I mean, oh my gosh, your mother died. You did give up, you know, uh, you relinquished Max. Is that the proper, you know, you, yeah. you got married, like you had your children, you got divorced, you found meds, your dad died. It's, that is kind of the most, it's a, such a dramatic saga, really. Like that is a movie of a life. And I do believe, I really believe that when we, you know, a lot of people are like, what's my purpose? I don't know my purpose. And I, I really believe that it's our purpose is buried underneath the rubble of our life. Like, I think our mission can be found when we kind of go inward. Mm -hmm. um, and you have a, a lot, like that's enormous. Um, and yet the objective person within me finds it so fascinating and you're such a person who is such a, a studier of humanity that that ability to even detach on your own and, and look at this as, you know, finding the pieces and the meaning and the, the it's almost like a parable. It's amazing. So how did your, did your, how were your kids about Max? Had they known about him? No. Were they... No, I, I didn't say anything. Uh, it was sort of like my ex and I had sort of like, we, this was under wraps. I won't get into all the details, yeah, but yeah. this was something we didn't discuss. So I never told them that caused some, some issues when they found out, I, I right. thought everyone would be very excited and, and they were. But it's more right. layered than that. And I right. have to give permission for all of that. Right. Um, I raised my girls particularly, and well, all I was very strict. So when they found this out, they were like, Really? <laughs> oh, right. really, Mom? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was like a come to Jesus moment, you know? And I was very honest, told them like the whole thing so that nothing else could ever come out that it was like another half truth, you know, and I didn't tell any under, I just didn't tell. So it was right, sort of, a, of course, omission, right. Um, I mean, uh, uh, some people say that's your right, but it's a, it's a, it's a complex, it's complicated it complex. because that's their stuff sibling you know my son blaze always used to say i wish i had a brother he would say that to me like when he was little and it was just you know um but to me and and the way that i look at it is i cannot go back and undo anything there's nothing that we can do and regret is wasted emotion it's wasted um i believe on some levels of myself that i chose like this sort of 
way this was going to go. I'm, I'm big enough to hold it is what I feel. I'm able to hold all of this. And also to like, as you were saying earlier, it's like, I am, I see myself, I, I believe we have a soul and that we, we are, you know, have an eternalness to us and these things that are occurring and our ego getting like all, you know, knotted up about how could this happen to me or why me or whatever. I I can, I can detach from that and yeah. say, this is my journey. What can I do with this to help other people that maybe can't see the light or don't yeah. see that, that, um, let's just take divorce for a minute. Like in those groups, I'm like, you will get through this. You're going to be okay. When someone told me that when I was going through divorce, I hung on to that, like a life jacket, you know, um, you're going to get better. You're not even going to recognize yourself in a few years. You're going to look back at this time and you're going to wonder, wow, I can't believe I was so lost. You know, that is something though, though, those hard times, you got to embrace them too, because you can't grow and become an empath and become deeper and broader and bigger. If you don't suffer, you can't, you can't. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so interesting because really, I think it's a beautiful story. I think it's a powerful story, an ongoing story, you know? And I, I think that I do, oh, I do say to my own girls a lot that I kind of believe the same thing that you said about the soul. And sometimes I think our lives are like those old myths where Zeus goes, okay, I'm going to tie your leg behind your back and I'm going to gouge out your eye and I'm going <laughs> to chop off your right hand. Now go bring me the head of Medusa. And, Good you, luck. You know I mean? and I, I think that that is our life in a sense. Mm -hmm. And the journey is, you know, learning and growing and finding our spark of divine that combines with our earth earthy humanity and that whole kind of crazy mixture that yeah. we are. Um, and I think that you, the way that you've lived your life is just so um, beautiful because I just, you, it's not rage filled, which it could easily be. And by the way, did you name your son Max or was he no. named? Because no, it's such they, a great name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look up what it means um, but I so um what do you think is one of the messages of your own life or what is one of your purpose you know the purpose that you find in your life well um I'm gonna say um I'm I want to go back to one thing that you said, and I hope I don't forget my second thing. When you talked about righteous anger, some of my spiritual yeah. teachers say there is never a reason for righteous anger. So I understand what you were saying. And I, I didn't want to forget to say that because I know many people are filled and they look for it and they're, yes. they want to be angry and it's rainy or it's this or it's that. Oh my. I mean, like, uh, yes, like to accept what's going on as what's going on is so liberating. You do not need to fix the world. 
You cannot yeah. fix the world. You fix this. And then, and then the world, if everyone was busy fixing this, the world would be healed. You got it. So, yeah. So I don't want to forget that. The other thing um, I want to bring up about my life purpose, which has become so clear to me. Um, one thing I want to say is I could be angry, but I read things like Edith Egger. I don't know if you know who she is. She wrote The Gift and The Choice. She was in a concentration camp. People like Viktor Frankl, Man's Quest for Meaning or Man's Search for Meaning. People who have really suffered. I mean, we look around and many people in our area look very privileged. They don't seem to have been through a lot. Perhaps we don't know, but these two folks, they've been through the concentration camps and lived to tell about it. And they're not angry. They weren't angry. And she would say, why ask, why me? Don't ask why me. Ask what now? What now? What am I going to do with all of this? I've made it through all of these things. Now, it's surely not so that I can just sit around and feel sorry for myself. Like it's almost spring. The flowers are going to be out. Like the cherry trees are going to be blooming. Like the birds are crazy. Like how could you miss, do you know, Mary Oliver, the poet? Yes. I may have mentioned, she'll say, what, what are you going to do? I'm not, I'm going to mess up her quote, but what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? Like you, you don't get this minute back. You don't get it back. So you can be upset if it's rainy or you can be mad about what happened to you or you can take it and go forward and do the best that you can do. You know, showing that to other people. I hope to show people and make them aware of their value, who they are, what they bring here, that they're supposed to be here, that they're important, that they're signi you know, significant, that they matter. That is like, and that whatever happens to them, they they can get through it. They have enough in them to make it through. I almost don't want to say another word because I feel like that should be the final sentence and anything I say is going to spoil it. <laughs> I was like, what will Denise think if I just sit here quietly and stare at her? <laughs> will that make her uncomfortable? <laughs> I'd be like, what's going on with Amanda? <laughs> Because I do, I feel like that is a perfect spot to end this podcast. And I'm so excited to watch what you do, to collaborate with you, to because I just know that you've got so much um, to offer you know you're you're constantly offering it through your art and creativity and I think it's just um there's just so much more to come and I just I'm so excited that people actually even get to hear this podcast but I will read your books <laughs> I will watch your speeches <laughs> I'm totally there for it Denise good so, thank um, you thank you 
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider giving it a great rating and following all the things you do when you like a podcast. Thank you to William Aronson for writing, producing, recording the Soulful Connections theme song. And once again, thank you for listening. I hope you keep tuning in.